Hey everybody, welcome to Electric Liberty Land and Happy New Year. And of course, it's a new year, meaning that you probably need some new ammo. Well, good news, because this show happens to be sponsored by Ammo.com. Yes, Ammo.com, which is run by libertarians at heart. Yes, they found our show, the Lions of Liberty podcast, came to us because they liked the content that we were generating. And also, I don't have to sell you on this fact because you can just go to their website at ammo.com and check out all of the liberty centric charities and nonprofit groups they support with 1% of every purchase. Not the net revenue, mind you, the gross purchase. Plus, you can get $20 off of a purchase of $200 or more by using our link, which is ammo.com forward slash lions of liberty. So start the year off right. I'll provide you with the liberty ammo. Ammo.com can provide you with the real thing. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Oh, doctor. I don't know how many of you out there caught last week's episode, but whoa, it was a hootenanny. I can't say that I was in my finest frame of mind at that point in time. And uh, thank you for sticking with the episode. I know it was quite rambling. I was told it was semi-coherent. I was also told a lot of people greatly enjoyed it, which I don't know what to tell you. You got a lot of problems out there. If you take your, if you get your kicks, if you think the finest foot forward that I do is, uh, is completely hammered out of my mind. But I guess you get even less of a filter than usual on this show, this fine Electric Liberty Land, of which it is episode number 106. Maybe you could find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 106. Now, for today's episode, uh, I do want to talk about the, uh, the Trump Oval Office Address, his first Oval Office Address of his presidency. What are we, like two and a half years in? Something like that now. And it was, of course, centered on the wall issue. Although it seems like he uh, Trump really went out of his way to rebrand it, try to avoid the whole concept of the quote-unquote wall. And uh, throughout the speech, he would call it the barrier or uh, call it something along the lines of a, uh, a fence, which is like the Democrats. You know, that was the that was what the Democrats had called it. They refused to they refused to acknowledge that in years gone by, for decades now, Democrats have been just like Trump and just like all the other Republicans, saying that they want to have border security. Another catchphrase of of Trump's speech, which I'm going to get into in, in just a second. But they want to have border security, and they said that they would be happy to support a 700-mile fence. It was something that even Hillary Clinton had around on, I, I believe, in her first iteration. I'm not sure if she did it this past run-up when she was going uh, against Trump head-to-head. Probably not, because uh, obviously that was not the popular point of view. And Hillary Clinton has to go with whatever way is going to be the popular wind-blowing direction. Not to say that politicians should not change their minds. They should. But Hillary Clinton has a very specific habit of being very uh, attached and vociferous in her support for certain issues, which she then completely flip-flops on as soon as the polls tell her to do otherwise. Uh, but, you know, Hillary Clinton, she had said, we need to build a fence. I want border security. All these Democrats voted for bills that, uh, that had border security built into them. So it was interesting to see Trump call that out in his speech uh, today. And I do want to get into the responses as well. So we'll see how much time that takes up in the episode this this Oval Office address kind of came out of the blue, so I wasn't necessarily going to talk about it on the show. I had a lot of other topics to get into, 
One of which is I definitely want to talk and examine uh, the issue of water rights and specifically in regards to Egypt, which is having a tip with Ethiopia, which has started construction of a dam blocking the main waterway, which of course gives Egypt all of its water for not only drinking water, but everything for their crops, for their animals, etc. cetera. Uh, I also want to talk a little bit about a ridiculous story. We'll see if we have time for it, but I want to get into this uh, story about Melissa Joan Hart being called up for casual anti-Semitism, which is hilarious. Also want to talk a little bit about the Syrian situation right now. And then we got to talk about Gabon. Gabon? Gabon? I don't know how to pronounce it. You know me. I'm not going to bother to look up how to pronounce it. But uh, I presume it's Gabon so we can say, Gabon, man! Why the fuck we got troops in Gabon? (laughs) Anyway. And then, again, we'll see how much time we have. Uh, But I would like to also wrap it up by reading a little bit of Gavin Newsom, California's new governor, his address which he gave, which is... Just, I mean, I'm going to be reading the whole thing probably live with you and reacting. I read about half of it earlier today, and it just smacks of the sort of rich elitism for which not only the establishment is known, but also California uh, singularly is known for in regards to just self filating its own uh, interests and looking at itself as holier than thou, we must lead the way for you other idiots in other parts of the country that don't happen to abut against the coast and have uh, the benefit of massive populations as well as uh, other other advantages of being on the coast and having uh, massive amounts of shipping run through their state and the city of Los Angeles. Anyway, let's get back to the speech and uh, and kind of comb through it a little bit. Now, it was only about 10 minutes, which was good. I've made it a lot easier on me trying to react to it. But Trump gets in overall trying to spin this whole concept, which has been branded as just the Trump not caring about these poor, poor immigrants as him being a racist. People are saying this is a racial issue because he's at one point that he wanted to uh, to have equal amounts of immigrants from Norway and other places, you know, places that weren't quote unquote shithole countries. <laughs> a quote which was said behind closed doors. And uh, is empirically Trump. I mean, <laughs> the guy. I mean, also let's let's not uh, let's not nitpick. I mean, when you call a country a shithole country, the countries he's referring to are mm, pretty shitty. You know, if we're talking about places like Venezuela, which uh, we've got immigrants fleeing there to the point where I think Brazil closed down its borders. There were some other countries closing their borders to Venezuelans because their country has become a completely unlivable shithole, a, you know, this puppet government, this puppet Supreme court of which the Supreme court, one of the, one of the latest uh, Supreme court justices just fled Venezuela. Uh, I can't remember what state he, or what country he ran to, but just gave it up and said, this is ridiculous. You know, the, the Supreme court is basically a tool of Maduro who had a quote unquote election and was uh, of course resoundingly elected again, despite the fact that his people, don't have access to water because the government now controls all of their water access. Uh, they have the oil industry, which has completely collapsed on itself because the government took that over and doesn't know how, how to run it, uh, has a toilet paper issue where they can't find or access toilet paper. The country has no money, has now forced people into buying the Bitcoin currency they've created uh, because the actual money has been devalued and inflated to the point where it's absolutely worthless. And you have 
people that are being murdered, uh, put into prisons. You have a opposition political party, which is being jailed in advance of the elections. These are the kind of quote unquote shithole countries Trump is referring to when he's saying, why can't we get some people from countries that would come in, not be looking for handouts, not be looking to uh, to come in and, and, and come into the country with absolutely nothing to their name and then try to make away for themselves. And yeah, I'm getting off on a tangent already. But you know me. And not to say there's anything necessarily wrong with coming to the country with nothing, because this country was built on people coming here with almost nothing and then working to build their way up. But as I've said many times in the past, we didn't have the same welfare system that we have today, wherein people can literally walk into the country with nothing and then have things provided for them in the way of medical care, in the way of education, in the way of health care, in the way of, um, of you know, handout subsidies for people, where even if you're an illegal immigrant, you basically have home, you have shelter, you have food, you have medical care provided for you at the border, regardless of whether or not you actually come in, should you make it across the border, then you have all sorts of access to support groups and, and uh, government slash uh, state government or locally government funded organizations, which then help give out food, again, medical care, et cetera. So you are, in fact, a massive drain upon the taxpaying populace by virtue of the welfare state, which has been built up. And I can see where Trump's coming from saying we would rather have people which can contribute immediately rather than being an instant net drain on the system from the moment they arrive. All right. Let's get into the actual speech. So, overall, Trump's trying to spin this as uh, humanitarian. Oh, hold on. I got to take a time because it was <laughs> one thing that was really funny about uh, this Trump speech. And I have had a chance to, to pull the audio. Again, This I'm doing it right after he's, he spoke. But uh, when he started his speech, he goes, tonight, I am speaking to you. <laughs> E-S-P-E-A-K-I-N-G. Speaking. Kind of like off the bat. He's trying to, he's trying to make friends with the Hispanics. I am speaking it to you. Uh, so that was hilarious. All right. Anyway, so Trump's trying to paint this thing as the humanitarian thing to do throughout this speech, which was which was pretty funny to me. Uh, you know, rather than something that's going to hurt illegal immigrants, rather than something that is designed specifically to stop people from coming into this country, people who are in fact downtrodden, that are poor, that are fleeing uh, oppressive conditions, as in Venezuela, uh, he's trying to say that we're helping these people by making it just too damn hard for them to get into the country. And this is what he's literally saying. Here's one quote. People don't build walls because they hate the people on the outside, but because they love the people on the inside. So saying he's not doing this to hurt the immigrants. He's doing this to help Americans, which in truth is a very good point when you're trying to sell this specific concept. You know, to say, well, we want to stop these people from getting in sounds terrible. When you say, I'm trying to protect the people in this country because of X, Y, and Z, and he goes in, to a large extent, he did talk about the criminal issues that have come to bear, uh, which have, you know, there's some truth to that. There are people, you know, they tra trotted out that old canard of, okay, well, let me, let me, you know, name off four different people that got killed by illegal immigrants. Great. Just like in every single presidential speech, debate, whatever they do, they always have the people stand up in the crowd this woman lost her husband or this, this woman's husband died violent, you know, valiantly defending our interest in Gabon. So they, they, of course, he trotted out three or four stories about people that were murdered, that were uh, sexually assaulted, that were yada, yada, yada. Talking about those people. So, you know, he's trotting that out, saying that there's more violent people coming across the border and we have to protect our own because of this. Now, naturally, 
the amount of people that are actually insanely violent criminals coming in across the border is minuscule compared to the people that are coming here to try to get an opportunity. that want to come here to create a new life that want to send money back home, which a lot of people do, you know, that's, that's a minuscule amount of people. However, it does bring up a good point again, where if you think about it in the context of the people that are coming in legally, who are actually having their backgrounds examined, that are actually uh, examined for criminal history of, of violent history of, being sexual molesters or predators, that sort of thing, it's a viable point. Because even if you're in a society like like we would envision, in a libertarian society, if you still have, you might not have your giant border like you do with the United States, but if you have your your community that you've developed, if you have this community built upon you know, voluntarism and you want to go in there, okay, you're going to voluntarily allow somebody to come into this community and take part in it, trade with you, et cetera, then you would want to have some sort of confidence in their ability to contribute and also in their <laughs> in their ability to live in your society without going around raping and murdering people. So to say that, well, it makes no sense to have a system wherein people can constantly come in without having any sort of check upon whether or not they are, in fact, a murdering psychopath is a viable point. And even in a libertarian society, you would still just not let anybody come into your society at any given point of time without having some confidence that they would be uh, someone that you can trust. Now, granted, in our society, you probably would, well, I don't even want to say that. In truth, in a libertarian society, we would probably allow them to come in first, and then, should they perform badly, then, of course, you take action. However, again, it depends upon the society. Um, there are libertarian societies which might be completely open borders, completely open society. Come, trade, do what you want. Should you step over the line, you step over the line. Then there's other communities which could create themselves and have their own rules, which people then voluntarily buy into, signing, I guess, the, the social contract, as we would say, to take part in that society. If you're required to do so and you want to be part of that society, then you sign on voluntarily to take part in that society, which might involve a background check, which might involve just a questioning, some sort of things along those lines. Anyway, I'm getting bogged down here. So... Anyway, Trump's trying to make the point this is all for safety. But, you know, getting back to this spin that this is a humanitarian thing, like we're trying to stop people from making the journey. Trump went into these whole long spiel about how many people die along the way, how there's 20,000 migrant children that were brought into the United States that are used as pawns by the coyotes, which it probably is true. I mean, let's be honest. And that's why it was kind of funny to me when Trump's uh, or, you know, Trump's administration was getting all this flack from Democrats and liberals because they wanted to take these children and hold them for a moment before immediately releasing back to whoever decided to come and claim them and said, well, we want to do some, some DNA testing. We want to confirm that these people are actually related to each other because we don't want to release these children into the hands of coyotes or release them into the hands of people that are going to be sex trafficking them. And a lot of these people, you know, they, this does happen where they give their kids over because they say, I, you know, because of our welfare system in this country, people will give their child to somebody and say, just go take my kid, put them in the foster system in, in uh, Los Angeles or put them in the foster system in Texas, wherever you can get across the border. And once there, they probably will have a better life ahead of them than what I can provide here because they will get education, food, health care, et cetera. Now, the foster care system is a nightmare. And I know that specifically myself from working with organizations that deal with the foster system, but still probably a far cry than what a lot of these people are coming from in the circumstances. But anyway, talking about these migrant kids that are brought in, he talks about women being assaulted on the trips up. 
And then he says, and this was a curious phrase. He says, they're victims, victims of a broken system. And that threw me off. Because what system is he talking about? You're talking about a victim. So are you saying that our immigration system is broken? Because I don't see how, unless you're going to decide to completely open the borders up in regards to immigration and literally say anybody that wants to come in may come in pending, let's say, a background check or a, a check into your uh, your criminal past. Something like, you know, something like, in truth, libertarians have been advocating for in regards to the border issue. I know myself, the border is a tricky topic, which is why it's kind of interesting to talk about this right now with all of you guys. One way talking, but which is why I myself favor something along the lines of a completely wide open visa system where you get a visa to come in, you want to come in and work. God bless you. Come in. Let's go do a background check. Give them their goddamn visa. Send them on your way. Go work. Go pay your taxes. And yes, taxes are theft, but I'm not, if, if I got to fucking pay them, other people got to pay them. That's the way I look at that. Um, but let them in. Let everybody in. You know, I don't see why we're trying to restrict this when if you need people to come in, especially on like seasonal visas to do farm work, whatever else. Trump's arguing at one point in the speech. He's saying, well, people come in and they're depressing the wages. They're depressing. Bullshit. That's been, that has been proven without a shadow of a doubt to be false. If anything, mass immigration, mass migration, people coming in and working, that actually boosts the economy. I mean, Jesus Christ, while these people are here, they're doing the jobs that, I'm sorry, people typically do not want to do. And also, they're still spending. They're still taking part in the economy. The economy is growing by virtue of their taking part in it. By being here, they still have to spend money to eat. They still have to spend money on housing. They still have to spend money on travel. Everything still costs money, and they're taking part in that economy. So that is empirically a good thing. The one thing he did hit on is that it strains public resources. And just like I was talking about earlier, it, without a doubt, it does. Uh, Los Angeles right now, and this is a topic that I'm going to wait to talk about next week, but Los Angeles right now is on the verge of a teacher strike. They're saying it's going to happen on Thursday of this week. And it's because teachers say, well, we're not getting enough money, a topic which I would probably disagree with. But we're also dissatisfied because we have incredible overcrowding in classrooms. We don't have enough resources. And these and they're saying this. Largely because Los Angeles does have an incredible issue with migrant populations, be they illegal or legal. But, you know, the schools here are incredibly overcrowded. And, you know, the majority of that is going to be people from Latin countries that are coming in. It's their children that have led to the overcrowding of these schools. So, you know, it does strain public resources. It does put a strain on the hospitals. Now, a lot of that, especially when it comes to fucking health care, a lot of that is due to crony capitalism. A lot of that is due to restrictions that the healthcare industry has placed, not only governments placed on the healthcare industry, but the healthcare industry has lobbied for. Like, for example, the instance of not having enough hospitals. You say, we don't have enough hospitals to treat all these people. The emergency rooms are packed. Do you know why? Because hospitals have to approve other hospitals. If you want to go and open a hospital, if you're a private business owner or a member of a group, that wants to open up a hospital anywhere in this goddamn country, you have to go to the hospital that's already in that area and the other three that have the governing hospital vote and say, I want to build a hospital here. Can I do that? Of course they're not going to say yes. What hospital? It's again, they're, they're running for profit, most of them. 
What hospital is going to say, oh, yeah, let's just welcome in more competition? I mean, do you really think that Circuit City is going to vote to allow Best Buy to move in next to it if they have a vote? Of course they would. Anyway. <laughs> so he talks about that, that our broken system, which is just ridiculous. And again, he leaves it just hanging there. It's a victims of a broken system. Never finishes that, that thought. And then he talks about how he wants more money to take care of these people that are coming here. He wants more money for bed space. He wants more money for agents. He wants more money for medical support. Now, don't forget that we already spend an astronomical amount of money every single day on the current immigrants that are here. Something like, it's like $750 a kid. I carry you a few episodes ago. I, I tallied it up what it, what it costs. And it's, it is mind blowing because if you gave that money to a parent in this country, they would be able to do so much with it. I mean, imagine just give it, go to a parent and, and telling them, there you go. You get 750 bucks a day is what we're going to give you because it's not just the, of course, it's not just a child care. Although there's all sorts of demands placed upon these people as far as what they must have in these, in these uh, detention centers for the children. They have to have entertainment. They have to have teachers. They have to have educators. They have to have medical staff. They have to have health staff. They have to have uh, your, your food staff. Unbelievable. On top of all the security, they have specialists to deal with trauma. They have specialists. All these, all these humanitarian needs these, these children have that cost an astronomical sum. And again, if you gave that to any parent and said, here's $750 a day for your kid, my God, you'd be over the moon. Just retire. I would even need to work. Anyway, all right. So they want more money for that, which is just absurd, absurd, and doesn't solve the problem that we already have. And then, again, Trump is, is hitting on Schumer on Pelosi and other Democrats for the hypocrisy that they showed on the wall, as I talked about for the top of the episode, because they did vote for all this. Again, I'm not saying that a wall is a good thing. I'm not saying that I support the wall. As I said, I want open borders in regards to being able to come in here and work. Now, becoming a citizen, that is an entirely different situation. Like, I don't think you should be able to come in here and you know, with your work visa and have an entitlement to take part in all of the welfare programs that exist or take part in all the healthcare systems that exist or take part in whatever else that you might enlist in that. That's a benefit of being a citizen specifically. And that's the issue I have with a lot of what goes on right now currently as well. But people should be able to come in and work. And that would solve the problem far more than a wall would. Because even if they say now, he goes, oh, well, we're not going to, we're not going to build a concrete wall. It's going to be a steel wall. A steel barrier, sorry. A steel barrier. Okay, so you build a steel barrier. You're still going to be able to get under it, to get over it, to get around it in some way, shape, or form. There's far too much money at stake for the coyotes to be able to get these people under and through. You're still going to have people smuggling people through. The wall may help. He might be right that it could deter some of these people from making the trip. Maybe they, maybe the women wouldn't get molested anymore on the trip through because they'll say, well, now that there's a wall, it's not worth it. And I'm sure that there's... There's some truth to that. If you make something harder, I'm sure that it is going to be far more of a deterrent. But the other side of this coin is the situation that exists in Mexico and all these places. So much violence, so much corruption, so little in the way of, of industry. And you know, Trump's saying that this, his trade deal is going to, uh, to pay for our own wall. And the trade deal, of course, should should help Mexico uh, probably more than the U.S. They typically always do. 
But you know, instead of just having free and open trade, but I, I'm trying. Let me try to stay on point with this. But the main thing that I think is driving so many of these people out of their countries, and the main reason why so many of these people die along the way, there's so much sexual assault, these coyotes. You know, like, how about we address the war on drugs? And Trump's saying, well, we, that's the other reason we need the wall, right? Not just for immigrants, but because of the drugs. And he's went into stats about how many Americans died from drugs this year, which, by the way, a lot of them, and I looked up, he said a stat. He said that more Americans died from drugs this year than died in the entire Vietnam War. And I said to myself, that can't be true. And I looked it up, and you know what? I'll be damned if the fucker wasn't right. Almost 60,000 Americans died in the Vietnam War. And in 2017, which is the most recent stats I could find, something like nearly that amount uh, died from overdoses, but the majority of that actually came from fentanyl. And now fentanyl, FYI, you know, I think they might have cracked down on it a little bit more now, but you could get it from overseas, from China, because it wasn't illegal for a long time. In 2017, I know for a fact you could order it online. So a lot of these stats are a little bit misleading because they didn't outlaw it. Now, they shouldn't outlaw anything anyway. And that's what I'm saying about the drug war is that Trump's citing this border as, oh, it's going to stop the drug trade. It's going to stop us. No, it's not. It's not going to stop anything. All that's going to happen is people will start making it more here. Maybe it'll be more expensive for these junkies. I don't know. But lay off the drug war. Then you can stop people actually work in the legal marijuana industry. And that's something Obrador is actually looking at right now in Mexico. They're looking at decriminalizing and legalizing marijuana, which would be a game changer. Far more than this border wall would be. That's a game changer. Then you have a massive industry that can spring up in Mexico, providing people jobs. Then you have legal trade within Mexico. And if Mexico goes, you got Canada and you got Mexico legalizing it, the U.S. will be the third domino to fall there without a doubt. And now you've got free trade of of legal marijuana going back. Hopefully you decriminalize and legalize other things like heroin, like fentanyl. Because fentanyl, all of fentanyl is, is it's an other option that people went to that was so unbelievably cheap but potent in regards to dealing with heroin, dealing with opiate withdrawals, and all these other issues that stem from being addicted to opioids. So if you decriminalize, if you legalize, if you open it up, then you don't have people that are dealing in secret with these problems. Then you don't have the overdose. Then you have people going to doctors, getting treatment, going to centers, and not feeling like they're outcasts from society. They're going to be arrested for something that they obviously didn't intend to do. No one goes out there intending to become a fucking drug addict. So I just can't stand this, this ridiculous, it, it's just like the, the ignorance of, it's kind of like reminds you of the Middle East. We keep going over there. We, see, we keep causing the problem that we're trying to solve. And the same thing is happening here. We're going we're gonna to double down. We're going to build this border. We're going to spend all these billions of dollars to build a border wall to stop people from coming in that wouldn't be coming in in the droves that they're coming in if we just solved the drug crisis to begin with. So instead, let's build a wall that's not going to solve the drug crisis in any way, shape, or form, and instead is simply going to provide more incentive to people that are drug running because now that it's even harder to get drugs across the border, well, guess how much industry is going to be required to find new and fantastic solutions to do that? The black market will always find a way. Border wall be damned. So that violence in Mexico is probably just going to continue to kick up until it becomes legalized and we can finally calm things down. And once it does, I guarantee you, we're not going to need a goddamn border wall any longer. I will tell you this, though. One thing that I don't think Trump's going to blink on anytime soon, unless he does get the funding, is 
He didn't seem in any way like he was anxious to get the government uh, up and running again and end the shutdown. And and (laughs) as we all know, the quote-unquote shutdown only shuts down a few measly things. Uh, Nothing that's truly vital, in my opinion anyway. I guess you could say, well, what about the TSA? No. Less dick grabbers at the airport going through my crap doesn't bother me. Uh, Pretty fine with them stepping aside. And in fact, one would argue that this wouldn't be even an issue if airports simply hired private firms to do it, which some have, some smart airports have. Simply hire private firms to do this, then it isn't an issue. Then you have far less in the way of incompetent employees that uh, that steal constantly or people that save pictures of you when you're naked like happened a few years ago or people that are known to grope you inappropriately or people that are throwing old women uh, with colostomy bags into examination rooms or any of that sort of thing. Maybe just privatize it all. How about that? But anywho... Doesn't sound like Trump's going to budge. Now, Chuck and Nancy, or old Cuck and Nancy, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, had their chance to rebut Trump's speech. I would say it was probably one of the absolute worst rebuttals I have ever heard. And uh, Nancy went first. Starting off with this little sweet line. Much of what we heard is misinformation and malice. Right? And then she goes on to say that she's going to lay out the facts. Now, what Nancy didn't do was actually rebut any of what Trump said during the entire thing. <laughs> this is just, it's just too classic. It's like, you know, it's just, you got to love that. It's like what you see in the debates all the time where people, they say like one thing, like they could actually address an issue and then they completely turn into a different, another issue. They just had to get the talking point out saying that Trump is full of misinformation and malice, fear mongering. Meanwhile, Really, you know, I, I debunked some of what Trump, has, Trump had said in regards to saying that a lot of the, the more violent people that are coming across the border are definitely in the minority. But you can't argue that there have, in fact, been a lot of instances where people did get killed by illegal immigrants. You can find a new story just about every day. And you can't argue with the, the drug trafficking, even though I would argue that, of course, you just legalize it. But it's just the kind of typical Democrat bullshit or really either side bullshit saying, Oh, it's misinformation. And now here are the facts. Now on to my next guest. I'll bring in the good doctor. So they start off with that. Then they say, she's saying that they're holding critical services hostage. Yeah, like the TSA. Give me a break. And it's some 800K government uh, paychecks. Many of them veterans weren't going to get sent out. So you got 800,000 paychecks. And now just like I was saying last episode, you know, the saber metrics, uh, I have no problem with those government employees not getting their paychecks. Sorry, guys out there. I'm sure you could get any number of people off the street to replace you and have them do a far better job than what you're currently doing. But, you know, to to dwell on this, it's like they're trying to really draw on people's heartstrings. You know, Chuck Schumer also tried to to go down that road. And this, this really cracked me up because Chuck Schumer was saying, People aren't getting the loans they need. Farmers won't get the loans they need, which just made me laugh because I did like a whole episode talking about the farm bill and how ridiculous it was, how much money the government was giving to these fucking farmers is like, instead of culling the amount of money these farmers get to not grow anything by the by to not grow food to protect their, their ridiculous crops, they, they added money. Instead of like lowering the amount these people could claim every year, they could get something like 
like $300,000 every year from the government to not grow food. And now in this newest farm bill, not only that, but they would pay their relatives 120000 or up to $125,000 each, each. If you just had a relative that's a farmer, not if you were on the farm, not if, not if your father was the farmer, but if like your cousin Ned was the farmer. So give me a fucking break, man. Chuck Schumer was like, what's the most American thing I can think of? Ah, farmers. The farmer in the Dell. Roll them out. So anyway, just, it's just kind of the same horseshit you could expect. Now, the one thing I did agree with with Nancy Pelosi on was that she said, instead of having a wall, we could have more innovation to detect illegal crossings. Now, that's something I can agree with. Maybe you have something. Maybe you have a, a drone system set up. Now, again, I don't support this. <laughs> I'm disagreeing with her in theory that you could have ways to do this, which don't include building a giant 30 foot steel wall. I, I can't say I support the cost of this. Like I say, putting out drones constantly surveying, which of course people just shoot down anyway to cross the border, but you could have certain sensor arrays put in there, something along those lines. I'm sure you could find satellite technology to detect them, put a, a whole ring of satellites up there, whatever it might be. The problem with this is that it doesn't solve the border right now. And Nancy Pelosi then says that Trump is manufacturing, quote, manufacturing a crisis. I don't know. You know, it's really hard to argue that point when you do have thousands upon thousands of migrants costing us millions and millions of dollars every single day. And you do have migrant caravans storming their way through nations and demanding to come into the country en masse. That is, in fact, a crisis. While I may not agree with the drug aspect of the crisis that Trump is laying out there, I cannot disagree that there is, in fact, an issue in regards to the borders of the United States. And neither the Republicans nor the Democrats seem to have a fucking any way to actually solve it. To reiterate, I don't support the border. I don't don't support the wall. I don't support the Democrat solution of doing nothing. There's, you know, you heard my idea already. (laughs) My ideas. I'd be happy to hear your ideas. You can give them back to me. I'll post this uh, episode in the Lions of Liberty Forum. You can go and weigh in there. Tell me your thoughts on the best way to handle borders. Moving forward, we'll see what your good ideas are, right? But I doubt the Democrats or the Republicans are going to listen to our ideas. (laughs) Because our ideas don't give them any more power. They don't give them any more authority. They don't give them any more revenue. (laughs) And that's the problem with our ideas as far as the establishment's concerned. And, you know, Cuck Schumer in his uh, statements, he said, started off by saying that the Democrats don't govern by temper tantrum, which is another line that I had to cackle at because if there's one thing that we know, the only way that liberals govern is in fact by temper tantrum. It is by showing up and shrieking at people, screaming them down, causing protests, reacting violently uh, when someone disagrees with them, trying to hamper free speech and the ability to converse, trying to take away personal property, personal liberty, and your basic civil rights. So if that's not governing by temper tantrum, by having a temper tantrum when you can't get your way and people don't agree with you explicitly, then I don't know what is. And maybe Trump's not right to shut the government down to do what he's doing either. But please don't give me this hypocritical bullshit that you fucking people don't throw temper tantrums. I mean, if there was, instead of having the elephant, the the Democratic Party, or not the elephant, excuse me, the, the donkey, 
<laughs> I mean, right, hold on. What am I even talking about? The donkey is the perfect embodiment. It's a fucking ass that refuses to fucking move until it gets its way. The ass, all it does is have different temperatures. I know. What are we talking about here, Chuck? It's just insanity. And of course, Chuck also admits the Democrats and the GOP both want stronger borders, but disagree on how. But he neglects to mention that he, in fact, had already voted for a, a fence, not a wall, but a fence in the past, as have all of those Democrats. So this was just absolutely an exercise in ridiculousness. It's, uh, it's, it was too current for me not to talk about, so I had to do it a little bit on the show. But we'll take a quick break, hear a bit from Mark Clare talking about our buddy Mance Raider and his pod, which you guys should definitely check out. Hey friends, I got to take a quick pause here to tell you about another great libertarian podcast out there. It's called Free Man Beyond the Wall, hosted by the artist formerly known as Mance Raider, now known simply by his real name of Pete Raymond. And I got to tell you, Pete is a machine. This guy brings you a new episode of his own every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and he has done some absolutely fantastic in-depth interviews. He's had on everybody from Ron Paul to Thaddeus Russell to Phil Labonte, the lead singer of All That Remains, a very diverse group of guests, not always libertarians. He also did a great show with a Washington, D.C., insider lobbyist revealing a lot of the dirt that goes on behind the scenes in DC. He has done so many interviews that I have just said, darn, I wish I did this one myself. So I really do want to highly recommend checking out Freeman Beyond the Wall. You can find it over at freemanbeyondthewall.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and all those fancy podcatchers out there. All right, we are back with Electric Liberty Land episode number 106. And hopefully you're still with me after all that Trump, cuck, Nancy talk. But we're back. I want to talk about this this Egypt uh, story where Egypt's confronting water poverty, as they call it, stemming from Ethiopia building a new dam. And this is going to be, it's called the Grand Renaissance Dam. And it's the seventh largest dam in the world and Africa's largest hydroelectric power plant. Now, What's happened here <laughs> brings up a lot of issues as a libertarian, and I was struggling with a little bit in that, you know, when we look at, at property rights, right, we value that, we base a lot of our philosophy about property rights, and when regards to water bodies, you know, usually if you've got a lake, of course, you have a communal lake, you have your property rights in the land that touches that lake. If somebody pollutes the lake, you can go after them, uh, sue them, et cetera. But it's interesting to find out, okay, what happens when when you've got a a body of water, you've got a river, and someone's upstream versus downstream. Now, there's different areas of thought on this. If you happen to be upstream, and they say, well, you've got that land. That land is worth more money. You can dictate what happens downstream. You can sell people that water at a price uh, as the, uh, the source of the river. And accordingly then they can pay you to have that be a certain quality of water, a certain volume of water, et cetera, right? So there's that that point of view. There's also the point of view that, you know, you've got your your rights along the river, wherever it is, and if you're all using the river at the same time, then you all have those rights. And again, nobody upstream can pollute that river because it could come downstream and then affect you and your livelihood and everything else. And thus, you should be able to sue them and get reparations should they have damaged 
your property or your ability to, uh, to thrive, to do commerce, et cetera, by accessing that water. So we've got a couple of different ways to look at these things. And as always, this is one of the more difficult positions for libertarians to discuss. But, but in, in this specific instance, right, because we're talking about we're talking about waterways, we're talking about private ownership of waterways and property rights. Typically, when we're talking about that, we're talking about smaller bodies of water. We're talking about maybe uh, a smaller stream, a smaller river that's going by. So you have limited usage. You don't have a massive population depending on it. But when we're talking about the Blue Nile, you're talking about literally basically the sole source of water for an entire population of people. And we're also talking about nations, not individuals. So out goes the the ability to have private companies, a private person sue or go after in a court to, to get reparations or to have somebody stop their pollution or cease the development of something like a dam in this instance, because you've got two nations that are now discussing it. So on a personal level, that's that's gone. So now it's, you've got it on a nation level. They say, of course, this goes back to the issue we have with states and states owning so much property uh, as this kind of a de facto, we own this much thing. It's like the federal government, their land issues with the, the, bunny, the bunny ranchers. Yeah, bunny ranchers. So in this instance, what had happened was that Egypt and Ethiopia apparently had an agreement wherein Egypt has, was supposed to have a say in how this dam would be built how quickly it would be built, how much water would be kept in the dam. And accordingly, they would try to slowly build this dam to get to to harvest this hydroelectric power, but yet allow enough water to go through that it wouldn't be a strict cutoff of the water flow to Egypt so they could continue to farm, have water for their people, water for their livestock, water for their industries, etc. Now, what happened was during the Arab Spring back in 2011 when all of the uh, the uprising was going on in Egypt, when there was all of the uh, the military overthrowing the president, ousting Mubarak, and then they put in, uh, was it Mansour? And then Mansour got ousted by the military. Basically, Egypt's just a military dictatorship at this point with a with a pretend president that they, uh, they like to have fun electing now and then. Uh, but while that was all going on, uh, Ethiopia had moved forward with putting this dam into place, with uh, starting the creation of it, with rolling out their plans. And now the issue that's facing Egypt is that they don't know if they can get this dam to still provide enough water for them. While they had that veto power per you know, pending these agreements that were put in place prior to the Arab Spring and prior to uh, the ousting of Mubarak, now Ethiopia's got all the power pending, I guess, military action, pending a war which is pretty much where these things seem to be at. Because for nine years now, apparently the both sides have been in negotiations and there's been no resolution. There's really been no movement forward to having a resolution as to how Egypt, which has 97% of its water from the Nile, is going to be able to survive should this dam be put into place when it's finalized and they actually start to, to get this water up. If they move forward with the plans that Ethiopia has as far as the speed at which the reservoir will be filled... It's basically going to choke Egypt out. So, you know, again, from a libertarian perspective, you go, how would you work this out? You know, you've got these states involved now. If this was, if this were private companies, you'd think they'd be able to work out it immediately just because it's the market system. Now, 
again, where I where I'm having an issue with it is which system would dictate who's got rights to that water? Is it rights because they have they've both been there, they've both been using the water, and now this Ethiopian move is violating the rights of violating the property rights of Egypt? I would venture to say yes in regards to to cutting off the water supply. But at the same time, I don't know. If you're upstream, does that give you the right to utilize that water to block access to that waterway and then charge people downstream to have access to that supply of water? In which case, should Egypt be coming with bushels of money to Ethiopia? I just, I'm I'm a little bit at a loss here because the various philosophies really come to loggerheads in regards to the situation. So again, I reach out to you out there. Give me, give me your thoughts on this tweet at me at Brian McWilliams, uh, join the forum. Let me know what your thoughts are in regards to, to this specific issue on these riparian riparian versus appropriative principles. Which one hold precedence? Now there's something to say too here because I looked it up. And Ethiopia obviously is known as the cradle of, uh, of humanity. And Ethiopia can arguably be considered the oldest state, the oldest country. So you could argue that Ethiopia was there first. Thus, Ethiopia would have the predominant rights to that waterway above Egypt, which came later, although not much later. So don't know if that helps or hinders your argument. Uh, and I don't want to give away my own particular bent too much here. I, I do tend to lean one way more than the other way. But um, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts, guys. So again, take part in the conversation. Join the Lions of Liberty Forum. And uh, maybe this is an issue. Actually, you know what? We're going to do our Skype call. We, you know, we do Actually, we do it on Zoom now. But we do our Mufasa level for our $25 and up members of our pride, which of course you can join and get all of our bonus content, uh, get all of our, well, plus some little perks here and there, depending on the content level you join, add some t-shirts, etc. But you can join that at patreon.com forward slash lions of liberty. But uh, this would be a good topic. I think we'll, I think I'll bring this up because we do an hour discussion with our $25 and up members, which is always a lot of fun. And uh, this would be a hell of a topic to discuss. So there you have it. Okay, anyway, let's move on. I, I mentioned this Melissa Joan Hart thing, and it just was so fucking ridiculous, this story. And not that I'm avidly reading Melissa Joan Hart news. You know, I don't have, like, a Google alert. My Melissa Joan Hart alarm goes off in the middle of the night, and I spring out of bed in my underpants, of course, with a massive boner, as you do when you've got a Melissa Joan Hart alarm that goes off. I mean, Sabrina, huh? Clarissa, what's not to love? But anyway, she was talking about, you know, how to raise her kid. And she said that she told her son that only people that believe in Jesus are quote unquote good. So this is what she's she's being called uh, an anti-Semitic for. So, excuse me, casual anti-Semitism for. And I'm just like, give me a goddamn break here. I mean, look. If you are familiar with any religion, 
you know that there's people that are constantly saying, well, we believe in this and we are going to have it. I mean, emphatically, if you're like, like, let's say you're a Christian, you say, okay, I believe we are going to heaven. I believe everybody that does not believe in Jesus is going to hell. That is essentially the same thing as most of John Hart is saying. So this is like this, this saying that only good people believe in Jesus as anti-Semitic is ridiculous because you know that Jews consider themselves the chosen people. So are you telling me then, Jews, that anybody that does not follow Judaism is not chosen, and thus, if I am not chosen, I am inferior? Is this not the same thing flipped on its head? Are you not also being either uh, some sort of racist, some sort of bigoted fool, some sort of of uh, evil neglector to the finer points of humanity by stating that people who are not chosen and are not Jewish are, in fact, scum. Because that's what you're saying. If you ain't chosen, you shit. And so Melissa John Hart saying, oh, to her kid, well, only people that believe in Jesus are good. And on a Christianity podcast, nonetheless, the journeys of faith with Paula Farris is where this is from. It's just like, what can't people get upset about? I mean, why are you giving this, this chick shit? Because she happens to believe in Jesus. I'm not religious in any way. I don't believe in God necessarily. Uh, it's funny. I, John noted out and I still have a, going to have a conversation about this, but I don't subscribe to a religion. I'll say that. Uh, I don't believe in the traditional version of God, be it a, a Jewish God, a Christian God, a Catholic God, a Hindu God, or any of the other, any other the Godheads that exist out there. But this is just absurd, and people need to move on with their lives and get past all this nitpicky bullshit trying to tear other people down because they happen to not specifically agree with their one point of view and their worldview. Just because someone tells their son that what they believe in and believing in Jesus makes somebody a good person, she's not trying to say that other people are bad people. She's just trying to tell her son that good people believe in Jesus because that's what she believes and that's what she wants her son to believe. And everybody does the same shit. Whether you're an atheist that's trying to raise your kid as a fucking bleeding heart liberal, I guarantee you're telling your child the same sorts of things that only liberals are good. People that believe in progressive fundamentals are good. It's the same thing. You just happen to have a different religion and you just don't like to see it in the same manner. All right. Next thing. Let's talk a little bit about libertarians cleaning up the parks during the shutdown. I got to mention this. The LP is organizing, uh, you know, cleanups across the country nationwide. We had local groups organizing cleanups. I think Angela McCardle here uh, took part in a cleanup at our local park, or at least she shared a story about a local park that was cleaned up by libertarians during the shutdown. This is what we're, we're talking about. When we talk about the ability for communities, for individuals, for private entities to take part in running and governing things in a way in which the government can't even think of as far as efficiency, as far as economy, look at what's happening here. This is an organic movement by libertarians to say, hey, if nobody wants to do it, we're going to go clean it up. All right, the government shut down. No one's cleaning up the parks. We'll happily go and do it. Why? Because we enjoy this park. Because we enjoy this aspect of living. And thus, as a community, we're going to go and clean it up. And you see the same thing happen constantly throughout society, throughout history, Wherein before you had the government, you had institutions that were fixed by the communities in which those institutions happened to reside. If something needed fixing, you just go fix it. If something needed cleaning up, you go clean it up. If a bridge was falling down, you go prop the bridge up because people relied on that bridge. You didn't simply wait for the government to do it. 
So hats off to the LP. Hats off to all of you libertarians out there that are taking part in these cleanups. The mainstream media should be covering this a lot more, but of course they wouldn't because it doesn't buy into the narrative from the Democrats or the Republicans or any big government shill. But I am very impressed with it. Talk about taking something that, you know, instead of just crowing about how much we love it when the government shut down, way to take advantage of the situation, way to make a great PR move and turn this into something positive. So very, very well done to you out there. Uh, Next thing, we're talking about two other things really quick. uh, And then... Shit, hopefully, I you know, I might I might have to scrap the Gavin Newsom's address and save that. Maybe I'll do a, I think I'm going to do an L.A. slash California-centric episode next time because there's too much to talk about uh, following this Trump speech. So we'll get to Gaza, Gavin Newsom's address in next week's episode where we will also talk more about the teacher strike that's uh, forthcoming here. So before that, though, let's just talk about Syria. So right now, we got Trump. And he had gotten a Trump kudos from us on the Trumper Dump show that we did. And I, I teamed up with John Odermatt on because he said, we're going to pull the troops out of Syria. You know, I don't care. I'm just going to do it. That was awesome. Now, where we're at is we don't know what the fuck's happening. Because the neocons, the warmongers and everybody else got to Trump. And they're saying, no, we can't. We got to stay there. We can't leave. We can't leave that country now. It'll be anarchy. Who knows what'll happen? Turkey's going to come in and kill all the Kurds. Now, while I know Turkey and the Kurds don't have the greatest history together, and I can agree that maybe there could be some danger there. At the same time, I highly doubt that we're going to see a Kurdish massacre. Do you, I mean... In today's world, knowing that the Kurds have been our allies, and granted, I acknowledge the U.S. is going to totally fuck them over by pulling out and leaving them uh, vulnerable in a way. Knowing that, right? Knowing that the Kurds were our allies. If the U.S. says to Erdogan over in Turkey, hey, and by the way, what's funny is Turkey is the second largest standing army in NATO. So they're saying we'll come in and help stabilize Syria, which, which, by the way, does Syria need stabilizing? Syria's already got Russia there helping to stabilize it. Syria's also already, they've got Assad in there. He seems to be winning. It seems that things are going just fine for him. So why don't we leave Syria the fuck alone? I don't think there's any vacuum that's going to happen where once the U.S. pulls out 2,000 troops, which by the way, 2,000 troops. Think about that. Not 20,000 troops, 2,000 troops. Less troops than, actually, I'd say less troops than even would be required to fill a small football stadium here in LA. Less troops than could even fill a high school stadium. That's how many troops we're hemming and hawing about pulling out. We think there's going to be a power vacuum because those troops are going to be gone. We don't think that Syria can shift some forces over there. We don't think that that's going to be taken care of pretty easily since ISIS is essentially defeated in that, that area. You don't think the Kurds can handle themselves? We need Turkey to step in and fill that vacuum? Bullshit. And Erdogan doesn't want to fuck with the United States. The last thing that they want is to go in there, start killing Kurds, and then have the United States get brought back in, except now we're fighting with Turkey. It's the last thing that guy wants. So get us out of there. This is all hoopla. This is all smoke and mirrors horseshit. Just creating, again, creating a reason out of nothing. Just like with the gas attacks they made up. Just like all the, any reason to keep us embroiled in these 
fights. They just mean nothing to us as a country. Nothing. They have zero impact on us here at home. And you know it's going to sound harsh too, but look why I feel for the Kurds. I don't want the Kurds to be massacred. But at the same time, what does that have to do with American lives? Why should American life, is a Kurdish life more worth more than an American life? Because it shouldn't be. Not if you're an American. Not if you're an American making decisions, it's not worth more than an American life. And I've said this before, I want to reiterate this point. Since when has the American military decided that people's lives in countries that have no, no interest in the United States economically, from a power perspective, from, a, from the way they would impact everyday individual lives in this country, since when do the people in that country have so much weight behind the lives that they lead that they are worth sacrificing a single American life for? Or in many instances, sacrificing hundreds of American lives for? Because I don't get it. And I don't get why more people aren't standing up and saying this is wrong. This isn't what the military stands for. This is what it's supposed to be for. I mean, you know, this is a perfect transition to talk about Gabon, man. But that's something that's going to have to wait for just a moment while we hear from another one of our sponsors. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. I mean, we just sent troops, something like 100 troops, to Gabon or Gabon, a place I didn't even know existed. No idea. Never heard of it before. Maybe you have. This is my Aleppo moment. Guys, because I don't know what Gabon is. (laughs) Apparently, it's a country next to the Congo. And the Congo is just having its first elections, right? The the first results of a long-delayed presidential election. And the United States is sending troops to Gabon because they feel that there might be protests going on in the Congo following the election. And so the U.S., because we've set, threatened sanctions against anybody undermining the democratic processes there and blah, 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 The United States feels that we have to send troops over there in order to keep the peace in the Congo just in case some protests happen following this election. Why? For what reason? For what possible reason do we want to do that? Do we need to do that? Are they asking us for it to do that? And again... What is sending a hundred troops going to do? We're just going to have them stand around the city capital. We're going to now instead of being the police of the world, we're the riot police of the world. Where do we draw the line with this shit? And this is Trump sending these people. Trump signed off on this. This isn't just random. This isn't like when you're in Niger or whatever it's called. This is Trump sending the troops. He ordered them to go. 
Why? Makes no sense. If a single goddamn American dies over there because of this election, which we have no interest in, which has nothing to do with America in any way, shape, or form, then now, you know what? Get me on board with the impeachment train. That, you know, that's enough. Okay, go ahead, Democrats. You won me over. The Gabon issue has won me over. Gabon, man. And Gabon, damn it. Does that make any sense? Like, God damn it. It doesn't fucking matter. That's it. Enough of this episode. Don't forget to listen to Mark Clare with his interviews with leaders of libertarian moments and movements. Moments. It's a libertarian moment. Uh, a libertarian movement on Mondays. He just did a, uh, a great debate between Anthony Samaroff and Michael Munger, which was fascinating uh, to interview. And by the way, if you're one of these people that likes our page, listens to our podcast, that you know, we posted this this debate, which no matter which side of the debate you're on, it's worth it to at least listen and entertain other points of view that you might not share, if only to be able to argue against those points more effectively. So for all of you that when we posted this, this debate on our website or on our Facebook page and people said, I'm going to unfollow you for posting this, you're a fucking idiot. There's no other way to put it. You need to, you need to, to check yourself, check what your what your understanding is. Number one of libertarian concepts, which you think open debate, free speech, you know, you think it before people getting out there and actually discussing topics in the open rather than trying to censor them, which you're basically doing. If you're saying, well, I'm going to unfollow you, you're trying to censor the content that we're putting out. Why don't you take a step back, realize that you don't know everything, and maybe listen to a debate between two people to find out if you might learn something rather than simply rejecting it based upon a dogma which you've accepted and which could very well be wrong. Just want to throw that out there because it really pissed me off when I see some of these reactions from people. (laughs) Don't even listen to the episode. They just react, just blind rage at the mention of UBI. Meanwhile, not that our podcast is advocating for or against UBI in this episode, but simply providing a debate between two people that are both libertarian arguing different sides of the equation. So really shameful. You should be embarrassed of yourselves. All right, anyway, so that was Monday's show. <laughs> I, found it, I found it to be very interesting. Uh, I will say I am uh, very much on the side uh, against UBI, but it was a very, very interesting conversation to listen to and, uh, and really very enjoyable. It was nice to hear two people that are very well educated, not only in libertarianism, but also in just the concepts of how UBI would interact in the real world, how it interacts with the state, how it would interact with innovation, debate each other in a very respectful manner. And uh, spoiler alert, there are some concessions made during this debate. So I highly encourage you to, uh, to listen to that. Okay, anyway, moving on. John Odermatt is on Felony Fridays. Make sure to check his show out looking at the criminal justice system and the massive amount of injustices therein. And uh, yeah, that's about it, guys. So from me, Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged in to liberty.